0: All right, let's jump into Revelation chapter 2. This concludes our final book in for the Warrior series. And uh, the question this morning um, that we're going to look at comes from Revelation chapter 2. We've been in what book? Somebody tell me. Book of Ephesians. Ephesians. That's more than a couple. Good job. That's always a scary thing if you ask that as a pastor, but you guys did great. All right, so. Here's what I did. When we're going through the book of Ephesians, I I, I kind of wondered, okay, what else about this church, this church at Ephesus is mentioned in the Bible? And this is actually here in Revelation chapter 2, the final place we see the church at Ephesus mentioned in the Bible. Alright, so this is kind of to fast forward um, 30 or or 40-ish years into the future of this church that God allowed the Apostle Paul to plant through his teaching. But before we do that, um, I told the church the previous Wednesday and then last Sunday to speak for just a few moments this morning on Christianity and the death of Osama Uh, Bin Laden. If you have a pencil or a pen, and by the way, I would really encourage you to take notes. Um, I'm not sure some of you don't come from a church background. Others of you come from a very lame, possibly, church background where you sit and simply listen and don't get anything out of it. I feel sorry for you, honestly, um, because what we do here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, and we preach, but we take the Bible and we go through it line by line, word by word, verse by verse, so that you can see where I'm getting my stuff, right? And so I would encourage you to take some notes, but this, I think, will really help you, especially high school and college students, young adults, because this comes up all day long. What does the Bible say about war, violence, and the death of, quote-unquote, evil people? And obviously, that's too much... It's too great of a subject that we cover just this morning. All right. But We're going to hit some high points in in these few moments and then knock out uh, Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. The Bible does say, I would encourage you to write this text down, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23. And God says, as surely as I live, declares the Lord God. And let me stop right there. That's pretty sure, right? As surely as I live, says the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, this is God speaking through the Apostle Peter, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we know that outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. And unless something really supernatural happened to Osama bin Laden right before the seal showed up, he lived his life in rejection of Christ, serving a God who is not the God of the Bible and is not real. The second that that bullet took his life, he entered into a place that is separated from God for all eternity. A place called hell, which the Bible says in the book of Revelation will one day be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, and it will never ever be put out. Revelation chapter 14 describes it in terms of this place called the lake of fire with uh, torment forever and Ever the wrath and the judgment of God is an incredibly scary thing. Is it not? And unless something happened that that we don't know about, there was some last minute conversion experience, We, we can assume by his words, Osama bin Laden, that he rejected the only antidote for sin and that he is in torment right now. And I don't know about you, but there is a sense, and let me give you a couple of verses to which we do have God's law written in our hearts and the desire to see justice done. Um, one of these basic concepts is from Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. It says that, "...he who digs a pit will fall into it." And you know about the history of Osama bin Laden, not not just with 9-11. And by the way, I've watched um, and done some research. Some people say, well, Osama didn't actually do that. That was a conspiracy by the U.S. uh, government. I just want to point out one um, small aspect. And I'm not trying to be facetious, but you credit the government with doing something efficiently. Now, just, just think about that for just a moment. The government... I've actually done some research and I just don't see um, the data leading to um, the government or, or, or a collection of individuals trying to um, cause that to happen. I think that it was him, but I'm not going to get off on a tangent this morning on political theories. All right, But what I do think is that you can look back at his life with the bombings uh, in Africa, the attempted bombing of the World Trade Center, and he dug a pit. And he fell into it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 says When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. If you can, go with me very quickly to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This puts it into perspective, I believe, from the Apostle Paul, how we understand military police work within the confines of what Jesus actually taught. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, "...let every person be subject to the governing authorities." For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What Bin Laden's life was was a total rejection of even Saudi Arabian government and international law. Verse number two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment means if you live as a criminal long enough repentant, the law will catch up to you. Verse number 3, for, terrors are not a, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. means that children should respect those in authority. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is speaking of any police, any government agency that is rightfully elected and operates within the confines of natural law, which God has given to us on our conscience, and that the Constitution actually does a great job of explaining. Notice, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, there is a sense that most people here, if in fact you believe that um, bin Laden is actually dead, which I do, um, there's a sense in which you kind of have some relief because you know there's going to be one less person plotting the death through bombings of innocent people. I think even if you're, a, it doesn't matter who you are, you can come to that conclusion. But let me be very, very clear this morning. I don't think it is honoring to Christ for us to rejoice like we would if our team won the Super Bowl. As bad as Bin Laden was, as wicked as the things that he did were, for us to gain almost a giddy sense of joy over a person who is suffering the wrath of God and that will never be abated throughout all eternity. Yes, we can take consolation that justice to some extent has been done, but for us to sit and revel in it, it should be a call like Jesus in Luke chapter 13 that says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, obviously, um, hopefully we don't have suicide bombers here this morning, all right? We do have some Baptist deacons, but that's hopefully a little bit different. You know, don't want to cross those categories there. But, honestly, we can rest in the fact that There's one less person who's going to do that, but ultimately to take a step back and say, if it were not for the grace and the mercy of God and His sustaining grace that covers my sin, I would have been dead, not by Navy SEALs, hopefully not, long ago, but by simply God removing His hand of mercy. So God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but God is the judge, and because God is the judge, we should be motivated. Please, this is the application to share the Gospel with the Muslim world. Amen or no? Even if they don't want us to come, we still send funds and we still go. So let's jump into Revelation chapter 2. Now that I've made both sides mad this morning and let's address this question. The question of the warrior, do you love me? Um, The fact of the book of Ephesians is very interesting because you have this gap from when the apostle Paul wrote it to where we come to the 90s AD to where John the apostle was an old. He was in his 90s. Is 90s old? Some of you guys maybe I don't know. It depends on what, how you look at. it. He, he was up there. All right, he was up there in age. He was alone on this island of volcanic rock, he's writing this book that the Lord Jesus is giving him by revelation and he's speaking to that church that was founded in Ephesus. And I want to give you a very simple question this morning before we really jump in. Is your love and your passion for Jesus on the incline or is it on the decline? This past month, this past year, have you grown more in love with Christ Or have you felt yourself grow further and further away? Now, we've got a lot of new members here this morning. In fact, we're really behind on our our new members board. We've got a lot of new, even like 30-something people um, join us since I believe it was September, which is amazing. Amen? That's an awesome thing, and we love you guys. This is so cool. But I want to address this message here this morning primarily because we've got a lot of people who are newly saved or coming back to church. Some of you guys, you've been at church for years, some decades, but you're just coming back. Awesome. Rock on. Keep up the good work. But I want to address this message to those here this morning, and you've been maybe in this church for years, or you've been in church for decades. This is the question that is posed to us church people is, are we doing what we do out of a sense of obligation because it's the right thing to do? Or do we do it out of an overwhelming sense of love and gratitude towards Jesus Christ? Notice verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now, this word angel literally means a messenger. So, this could be uh, like sometimes that pastors or missionaries are referred to as messengers. And so, this could refer to that because obviously, in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of confusing stuff. Amen? you don't take it in context and read it verse by verse, it could really throw you for a loop. So here is to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him, this is going to get kind of crazy, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, all right, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now let's stop right here. What in the world is going on? Now somebody tell me, when we come to a confusing passage in the Bible, what's the first thing we want to do to see if we can understand what's really going on? We look what comes... Before it, good job. So let's go back here to um, let's say let's start out in verse number twelve. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, First, verse chapter one or chapter one verses one through eight is an awesome, awesome message about how Jesus is totally amazing. And then this is this is funny. All right, those of you with a dry sense of humor, you will love this. Let me just back up here on the last part of verse number eight. It says, "This is Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega," says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9. I, John, y'all catch that. Got like this huge <laughs> description of the magnificence of God, and then John's like, hey guys, John here, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance of those who are in Jesus. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he's there. He's in prison. And then all of a sudden, in verse 12, he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst, verse 13, of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with, notice the description here, a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white... Like white... Well, not gray... Like white wool, like snow. His eyes, this is kind of freaky, were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and His voice was like the roar of many waters. This refers to Jesus' hair. The the, the picture here, the symbolism, is that Jesus is perfectly pure. There is no sin within Him. And then His eyes are a flame of fire. He sees everything. It's like Superman, x-ray vision on steroids. His feet were burnished bronze. That means that there's nothing that can stand before Jesus when His foot comes down. And His voice was like the roar of many waters. That means when Jesus speaks, the world stops. There's a point made in our Bible study this morning that God is totally and absolutely in control. Amen? Like, God does not ask for our opinion. God does what He does because He is who He is. And this is speaking of the magnificence and the power of God's Word. And then, in verse number 16, in His right hand He's held seven stars. This is speaking of the the churches, the seven apostolic churches. And from His mouth, this this is kind of weird came a sharp two-edged sword speaking that when Jesus speaks the Word of God, remember we had our armor up here, right? The sword symbolized the what? The Word of God. When Jesus speaks, it is His Word. And it is the sword that cuts into our soul and kills our sin. And His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. You're in a jail cell and you just saw that. Notice what verse 17 says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> I mean, it was so amazing that he fell down like almost in a comatose state. You ever see those shows about angels? You ever see the angel shows, right? Angel shows. I've got my family angel and we just, we give it some bread and water and that's our angel. It's not, we don't know what... It, it's not an angel. Every time you see an angel or Jesus appear to a person in the Bible, it's such a, an overwhelming, almost a freakishly scary experience that they fall on their face and they actually think they're going to die. I remember when I went on a roller coaster at the Islands of Adventure. It was the Hulk. Alright? And after seeing people return from that, they had a look of sheer terror on their face like they were about to die. Has anybody ever been there before? Right? Okay, you've got your friend, they don't really like roller coasters, you're like, go ahead and come on with it. It's not going to be that bad. And you're thinking in my mind, I am a liar, liar, pants on fire. And they get on there and they're screaming, you know, and you're, it's just awesome. But think about, think about the scaredest you've ever been and that's of a prospect of dying or an animal or someone plays a prank on you. They hide behind a door or they get a rubber snake and they put it underneath your car. Deceit uh, in the. I'm giving you guys ideas. Pranksters are like, I'm taking notes, brother. Taking notes. However scared you have ever been, think of how much that fear would be magnified if you had a vision and experience with the very person of Jesus Christ in his resurrected and his. Glorified body. Notice what Jesus says. Halfway through verse 17. But. Right. So here's John. Thinking he's about to die. But. This is so cool. But he. Laid his right hand on me. Saying. I love this. Saying. Fear. What? Fear not. I am the first. And the last. And the living one. Check this out. Little clause. I. Died. Stop right there. How many of you have seen the movie or or, or the show Lost? Anybody in here? Lost? Okay. If you've never seen that, don't start. You will lose literally a month of your life. All right, It's the greatest show ever produced in the history of the world. But under pastoral authority, do not do it because you will lose your job and you will lose everything in your life. It's it's a terrible thing. But towards the end of the show, Jack Shepard realized looking back, I'm not going to try to get into Lost because we'd be here until next year. But he, it's just an incredible job of acting they did. And he realized that he had actually died. And it just, at that point, just incredible. Matthew Shepard, the actor, he broke, he, 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 Matthew Fox, he broke down and he said, I died. I died. And his dad was there. He just, he grabbed a hold of his dad. His dad embraced him. And it was just like he was saying to himself, because he couldn't believe the horror of what it means to die. Like, actually die. That moment that you feel the last ounce of your life drain out from you. And you can't even stop it if you want it. You physically, actually died. And Jesus said, I died. But notice the next phrase. This is so awesome. And behold, which means look, I am alive. Forevermore. Not only that, but what's he say? And I have the keys of death and Hades. I mean, how much more powerful could you get? It's like a man with a remote, right? We think we're all powerful. Jesus is saying, man, I died. And now I'm alive. Not just now. I'm not on life support, you know. I'm not just taking my daily one-a-day vitamins. I'm alive forever and ever and ever. Nothing can ever take my life. And this is so amazing. He says, I hold, what is it? I have the keys of death and Hades. Wow! And this is said, imagine if you're John, with Jesus, with this awesome Son of God, His hand upon me and he said, "Fear not." I've seen a special forces shirt before. I'm and this may require some editing, but it, it quotes Psalm chapter twenty-three, and it says something to the effect of, "I will not fear, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for I'm the baddest mother in the valley." Jesus. Tells John, fear not, for I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A, the Z. There's nothing that can harm you. And then Jesus says, with his hand upon John, like a father to his son, write therefore, right. So this is what we're going to study. from This massively amazing and loving and patient God. Who says right? Notice what he says to right. This is in verse 1 to the church at Ephesus. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. That means being on a committee in a Baptist church. That's in the Greek somewhere. I'm just kidding for some of you guys. Like, really? And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. this Yet this you have. You hate the works. Notice notice it says the works, not the person. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. We're going to break that down, what that means. Uh, Which I also hate. Verse 7... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. This is to a church that had been saved out of amazing and incredibly dark Satanism. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. It was, even, it was even so crazy that in, um, in Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 19, Paul was preaching in this place called Ephesus to where Jesus is writing to years later. And Paul's preaching was so effective, they had like this guild, um, for you gamers, a guild uh, of idol manufacturers. And they would sell these idols. Well, people were actually turning to worship the one true God, and they weren't buying the idols. So what happened, this big riot broke out. Right? Like wildest, world's wildest police videos in Ephesus, okay? First century. They're actually, they actually bring Paul from this huge group. He's actually almost going to get killed by a mob. What a bad way to go. Right? I mean, you're down there on the bottom of a mob. You're like, is it going to be a foot to the face? Is it going to be somebody fall? I mean, come on. It's just, it was a terrible, crazy thing. And he actually barely escaped with his life. And then in, in Acts chapter 19, people there were being healed of, of demon de- demonic spirits, like people were being demon-possessed. It was crazy. If you want to hear more about that, we covered that in one of our messages through the book of Ephesians. But there were these seven sons of a guy named Skeva, And just, off, just right off, doesn't that sound kind of shady? We are the seven sons of Sceva. Like, they are, they just sound shady. You know what I'm saying? These guys actually saw Paul and, and the, the, guys casting out demons. So they're like, man, that is so cool. This guy's better than Chris Angel, right? So we're going to go try to do the same type of thing. So they go and, and they find this guy, this one, th- th- this guy who's demon possessed and they go in thinking that it's some kind of of a, 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 a show and they try to cast out the demon. And guess what the demon possessed dude does? He beats literally their pants off of them. He beats them all to where they leave the house bleeding and naked. Yeah, that's what people probably thought then too. That is very awkward. How did that make it into the Bible? It made it in the Bible to let people know that the power of God is not something that's a little seance or a formula that you learn abracadabra, boom, Jesus shows up. It's the power of God. It says in Acts chapter 19 that Greeks and Jews are both hearing the word and being saved. And then years later he writes and then he says, you know what, you guys are still doing some good stuff. Notice what he says the first thing there in verse 2. He says, you know, I know your works. If you're taking notes, you, you work hard for Jesus. Jesus is saying, you know what, you work hard for me. You've got two words here. So you've got works, which is ergon, which is just a task. And then you've got this other word, toil. And toil is something that is brutal. It's engaging in, br- in burdensome labor, right? It's the difference between doing an easy job and a job to where you think oh, my back's going to break because of this. If you're taking notes, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 uses the same word here, toil. And this is the Apostle Paul who says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. Check this out. We worked day and night. Alright? This is not talking about casual church attendance. And once a quarter, I'm going to make it to Bible study. You guys okay? All right, sometimes like, I don't know if I can get up, honey. And she's like, come on, you can do it. You know, she's playing the Rocky music and then you walk in, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. i am here for a Bible study. And they're like, wow, you came to Bible study. That's amazing. Not talking about that. Some of you are like, I wish you would just stop it. <laughs> Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Write this down. Great text that uses the same word. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. Whenever you see the word Spirit with a capital S, it's referring to the Spirit of God when it was the Holy Spirit, not Casper the friendly ghost. It is literally God, the Trinitarian God. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So some of you, you've worked in this church for years. You have done so many things behind the scene. And the Word of God says that God notices. you are done something and you say, man, I don't know if anybody's noticing this. You don't have to say it all. Some of you are like, we don't do that outwardly, do we? Sometimes you say, man, does anybody, does the Lord notice that I'm doing this? He notices. And it says that their works follow after them. That means that there's going to be a, a, a steel chain through all the things that you've done for Jesus out of the right motive that will follow you into heaven and one day we'll lay every crown that we have before the feet of Jesus. So, Jesus is saying, man, you guys, are, you guys are doing great. You've got, you know, you're working and you're toiling and notice the other phrase there in verse number two. And you're patient in endurance and also in Verse 3, and I know the beginning of verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. What's going on here is he's saying, you know what, you guys are soldiers for me. These soldiers for Jesus as opposed to mercenaries who church hop. I'm about to get into a lot of trouble, but I love you guys, so we'll just go ahead and speak truth anyway. What we have, especially in the South, that people, we have numerous people who hop from church to church to church to church to church. And their criteria for that is I want to find a church that is right for me. I want to find a church to where I am happy and I am fed. If you were to go back in time and talk to a first century believer, they'd have looked at you like we would look at something crawling out of a UFO like an absolute alien. I don't know what you are. Jesus says you have endured. doesn't say that you've been a mercenary. You say, well, I'm going to go to this church as long as my time is compensated by high-quality sermons that I deem to be good and many ways for my needs to be met. No, Jesus says that these... People, he says, you guys have served me and endured. You've endured the good times and you've endured the bad times. And let me just say a word right here about preachers as well. I pray that, and I've had preachers tell me, say, you say, know, you know, when you, Jeff, just, just you know, just waiting, you know, you can go to a go to bigger church one day and all this stuff. May God have mercy upon us. May God have mercy upon us. The pastors of this nation that look at churches as stepping stones. You all are not a stepping stone to me. I'm just going to level with you, okay? Heard people, you know, reference things, say, Well, you know, Jeff, great to have you. You'd probably be going pretty soon. I'm like, Do you know about a deacon's meeting that I don't? I mean, what's good? Like, well, you know, we'd probably go to another church or bigger. Look, you guys are not a stepping stone. My resume is not out. I'd love to stay here for the rest of my life. I don't look at it like that. And may God have mercy upon us. And maybe that's the reason why our churches are so stinking jacked up because we've got a bunch of money hungry pseudo preachers who are simply trying to get better packages so that they can, quote, provide for their 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 families. May God have mercy upon us. And I think it's our fault that we've trained so many people to be church hoppers because we've done the very same thing. May God have mercy upon us watched a debate with Sam Harris. Some of you may be familiar with him. He wrote letters to a Christian nation. He's actually one of the main leaders in the New Atheist Movement. And he was debating William Lane Craig. And Sam Harris, a very outspoken, a very somewhat angry atheist, said something i had never heard before. And he he said, um, and I wrote this down so that I I wouldn't misquote him. He said that um, Christianity is the height of narcissism. Narcissism, right, goes back to the Greek myth of the youth who looked into the pool and he saw his own reflection and he he just loved seeing himself and he drowned and he died great right great greek tragedy that we teach kids right anyway um narcissism is where you love you love yourself and i said you know what if sam harris has seen the type of christianity that we promote in most of our churches he's probably right not the christianity of the bible but the christianity that says you know what christianity is about god blessing me and for me going to church to have my needs met. And as long as God hears my prayers and helps my life, then God is good. Don't, don't worry about all these, these kids who don't have supplies to go to school. Don't worry about the people in other countries who don't have, have clean drinking water. As long as God gives me a good 80 plus years to where I can run 5Ks the whole time and have lots of money in the bank, God, you have been good to me. Sam Harris, an atheist, is exactly right. That if that is Christianity, then it is the height of narcissism. But praise God, Jesus says, you guys, talking to the Ephesians, are not that way. You've worked hard for me. And I think that today, if you've been in this church for years, I want to ask you a question. Did it bother you? Did it bother you? The years that you saw no one saved here. This is this very gut level. This morning. This is what you're told not to do by older, wiser pastors. Did you have a problem when you saw maybe one person saved per year here? Did that cause sleepless nights? Did you leave praying? Did you leave getting ready to get with your friends that you've always come to church with for years and decades? Did it, cause a, did it cause a sickening sense of something is wrong? Or were you simply happy because you're comfortable? And Jesus is saying, you know what, Ephesians, you guys are not like a bunch of sponges. You ever notice what happens to a sponge after a while, it becomes what? It's old, it becomes... Hard and brittle, and if you just step on it, it turns to dust and it leaves. Jesus is saying, "You guys are not, you guys are not crusty sponges, but you've been conduits for my glory to come through." And He says, also in verse number two, He says that you can't bear with those who are evil. Notice He uses a verse over uh, what was that? Verse number six, the word hate. Wow, Jesus is actually saying that it's a good thing that these guys hated. You say, Jeff, man, I thought Christianity was a religion of love. It's not actually a religion, because a religion is a ladder by which you get to God. Um, biblical Christianity is a gift by which God presents Himself through His Son. Amen? It's not a religion. We define religion as a way of life by which you get to God. If we're a Christian and we actually love God, then we must hate evil. Think about it like this if you love children, you hate kidnapping, right? If you love children, you, you must hate abortion. If you love families and, and, and children, you, you must hate the idea of divorce to where they're, they're ripped apart. If you love God, you must hate sin. And notice we're not saying we hate people, but we hate what it does. Now why? You say, Jeff, what, what's the deal with hate in these guys called Nicolaitans? Very, in a succinct way, the Nicolaitans taught that you could be saved, but go out and basically spread your wild oats and live an unchanged life. And Jesus says, good job because you hate that doctrine. Good job because you stuck to the truth. And also notice in, uh, in verse number 2 there, um, they also tested people who called themselves apostles. There's a lot of you in this church, you've been here for years, I'm sure that if someone came in and they started teaching things that were wrong, like Jesus and Michael the Archangel or the same same dude, right? You'd be like, uh, no, that's wrong. Or, or, or somebody came in and, and taught like uh, some people do that that Jesus and Satan were one-time brothers and like Satan's like, let's kill them all and God, you sort them out and Jesus is like, let's love them. God's like, Satan, that's a dumb plan. Jesus, that's a good plan. You'd say, no, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's error. That's wrong. Somebody came in here and started saying, you know what? Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. You would call them on the carpet. You'd say, man, that's not right. This is truth. What you're saying is wrong. Right? I mean, amen? Because you, th- this is our authority And you call people out who who are not going according to that. So Jesus is saying, man, you guys are dead on with the truth. You guys are doctrinally pure. You've served me, but here's the con in verse four. He says, you've lost your first love. Question Rocky Mount Baptist Church veterans. Have you lost your love for Jesus and you've continued to go through the motions to where it's just an empty experience? You teach a class. Is it something that you have to do or is it something that God has put in your heart for it spills forth when you teach the lesson? And the word here, this is one of the most interesting aspects in this passage. When he says, but I have this against you, you have abandoned, notice that word, or forsaken. That's the word that's translated all throughout the Greek Testament as forgive. Afiemi. So Jeff, what, what in the world does he say? So, so, so you're saying that Jesus is telling us, um, for I have this against you, that you have forgiven the love. No, no. The concept of the word forgive, this is so amazing. It's to release. Wow. Like to cut the moorings of a ship to where it drifts away from the dock or to release an arrow. The concept Jesus is saying, you know what? You've remained intellectually grounded on the truth, but your heart has grown far from me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, this is the beginning of the church at Ephesus, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all of the saints. You know, sometimes people will, will say this about, about their marriage. They'll say, well, say you know, How, how's marriage going? Somebody do marriage counseling. Well, we're not cheating on each other. Awkward silence, right? Well, how's your, how's your marriage going? Well, I hadn't, uh, I haven't, you know, been with another woman, she'll say the same thing. People in the church say, How's your walk with Jesus? Well, I'm not an atheist, I've not been bowing down to any idols. I've not been you know, drinking any blood at the local satanic coven. I dress up at Halloween, but man, I, I believe in the Bible, Jeff. I believe in Jesus. You hear married couples say things like, you do your thing and I'll do mine. They've grown apart. You hear the wife say something like, well, if he's at work, that means I get twice the money and less of him. Y'all have heard that one, haven't you? And hopefully... Hopefully that's done in a humorous way. But Jesus is saying right here that the you do your thing, I'll do mine. The reason why some of you, you've gone here for decades, you get as little Jesus as you can. And even the Jesus that you do get, you might want to just go ahead and take out the term Jesus and put in social time. Because that's exactly what it is. When you go throughout the week, you do not read the Word. Not in some legalistic sense, like, I have my quiet time, so I'm going to heaven. But you neglect God's Word. There is dust on your Bible You do not pour truth into your heart when you're on your drives by way of preaching, by way of godly praise, music, the Christian radio. You fill your life with what you love. And the reason why there's so little Jesus, even when you come on a Sunday morning to service, it's because you don't really want Him in your life. And you can look back years ago to a time that you loved. Now, some of y'all are mad right now. It's the how dare you. Jesus loved the Ephesian church and he loves you. That's the reason why he would give a message of this gravity. The reason why you've neglected Jesus is because you don't really have a desire for him. But you can look back in years, years past, and you can look to times where you could not wait to tell people about Jesus. You witnessed to your friends, you prayed for people, you had a broken heart when people rejected the gospel. If there weren't dozens of people who came forward to get saved at the invitation, you said, Why were there only five? Why weren't there more? But today it doesn't. It's kind of like, you ever notice at a campfire, those embers, that they slowly die, and they die, and they die, and they're just a small flickering of a little bit of smoke. You say, well, Jeff, man, I'm involved in church. Okay, how many of the things are you doing in church is things that Jesus actually said to do? Is the purpose of the committee that you're on, is that committee actually, if you're the leader, is that actually doing the gospel? How many of you have shared the gospel with someone in the last month, in the last year? How many of you have been a self-starter to get involved with ministry to the least of these? I'm talking to people who've been here. How many actively financially support overseas missions? How many of you do you pray for lost people on a regular basis? Does it break your heart or does it never cross your mind? See, now, Jeff, hold on. I've never had a pastor who's really emphasized that. Well, here's what we're saying that if we use that line of reasoning, if we stand before Jesus and he says, I've given you my word, I've, I, I've shown you what I desire you to do, but we say, but Jesus, my, my pastor, never started a committee to do that. What we're doing is we're offloading our responsibility for the gospel upon to someone else. Do you really love Jesus? And in fact, some of us, we say that we love Jesus, but he would answer back from John chapter 13, right? If you love me, why don't you obey my commands? The church that I talked to a couple years ago, and they were next to a huge university, and I said, what are you doing to minister to this university? They said nothing. I said, well, it's got a huge... um, uh, international student population, maybe you know something you do is just just make some food and go over there and just, just to get, get to know them and invite to your house they said that 's why we need you to come i said no that 's what you guys should have been doing a long time ago since when was it okay to say that we need a pastor to to tell us to share the gospel don 't we don 't we have god 's word and if we went back in time to Christians who have lived in the past and they know that we That we do what we do today, our system of church, and how few of us actually get out there and do what Jesus commanded us to do out of love. And they would have looked at us and, like, how can you call yourself a Christ follower? And then sometimes we say, Now, Jeff, man, I'm busy, right? I don't have time. So if we say that, you know, we're actually saying to Jesus, whatever we say, Whatever the things are that we're busy with, we're saying that those things are actually more important than Jesus, aren't we? There's an article that I have. This is from um, the International Herald Tribune, Sunday, July 2nd, 2000. This is by a cellular geneticist, um, Matthew Ricard. He's, He's a Frenchman, and he converted to Tibetan Buddhism. And here's what he said. If you don't have... If you say you don't have 30 minutes for meditation, that means you don't care about it. Because you can find 30 minutes for anything you truly care about. But why should you care about something? Because you see the benefit of it. And some of you, just just leveling with you is... crowd this size, there's probably a number of you and it has been decades if ever that you've actually spent quality time searching the Lord through reading His Word and prayer that manifested itself by looking at the people in your life not as jerks, not as friends, not as family members, but as people who need to be saved. And Jesus is calling us today what to do about it. Notice He says there in verse 5, remember where you've fallen from. Do you remember that time of sweet fellowship with Jesus? Said, remember and repent and do the works at first. Today there's gonna be a time to say, Jeff, man, I wanna just recommit my life to Jesus Christ. I have I have strayed. It's a time in my life it was it was February 2005, I was at a conference in Atlanta. And Danny Aiken, he's now the president at Southeastern Seminary, he gave a message from the book of Revelation. I believe it was chapter 7. There were no jokes. It was just straight up Jesus. And it was just like the presence of God was there. And I had been te- uh, preaching and teaching, but I had grown away from my love for Jesus. Have you ever been there? You've been around Jesus. But that, that 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 heart passion has just all but leaked out, and it was just like God did a work in my... I don't, I'm not an emotional type of, of dude, but I, I I was weeping. There were people all around, just standing in a Baptist church. <laughs> With their head, like, just worship, not caring who was around. Just the presence of God was there. And Jesus is saying, to come back to me, to remember, is to have an experience with me again. There's an old country song that says, ain't it funny how a melody can bring back a memory? Take you to another place in time, and even change your state of mind. And that's exactly what happened with the story that most of us may be familiar with, with the story of the prodigal son. Lived his life outside of the father's, outside of his relationship with the father, but then when he finally came home, when he was eating what would be equivalent to us as something out of a, out of a trash can and a bathroom at a truck stop, he looked up and he said, I'm going back to my dad. And that day, men didn't run. They walked stoically and properly. But when his father saw him coming back, his father did not pull out his checklist of all the things that you've not done. His father ran to him and embraced him and said, Kill the biggest, and the fattest calf. Throw a party! And he put the robe on him. He put the ring of honor upon his son's hand. And his father welcomed him back. And that's the picture that God is giving to us through this passage. It's the joy of serving Jesus. And some of you, you've been involved in church for years, but you've missed the joy. You've missed the heartfelt passion by which you serve. And then there's some of you, you are dead and cold. You say, Jeff, I look back. There was never a time in which I truly desired God. And when I went to church, I was always looking for things that were wrong. Jesus is not so much calling you to return This morning, is calling you to get saved to begin with. So here's our invitation very, very clearly and very simply. If you're here today and you have been saved, but you have fallen away from the Lord, He's calling you through His Word to come back. If you have not been concerned about lost people and you missed the joy of life, come back to Jesus this morning. If you need to come pray here at the altar, you do that. If you want to just do that in your seat... Just say, Lord, please do a work in my heart today and refine me and bring me back. And there's some of you you say, Jeff, man, I've never been saved. Trust Christ. We'll give you a chance to do that just here in a moment. And you can do it right now. Just place all of your faith in Him and be born again. Like church membership means something. Amen? There's some of you who say, man, Jeff, I've been, I got saved recently and I need to come make it public. I want to get baptized. You come on. That the Father is with open arms no matter who it is. Let's pray. We have our uh, musicians coming. If you're here, man, you you say, Jeff, I I need to be saved. I I look back and it's nothing more than a ritual. Nothing more than a ritual. I do it because it makes my wife, husband happy, whatever. It's a good thing to do living in the South. Church thing. That is you. Call upon the name of the Lord right now. (laughs) Be saved. Say, Jesus, would you save me? And for those who need to come back to Jesus, not in terms of getting saved again, but coming back into a right fellowship with Him. Just just at this time, just say, God, I repent. And beg upon His mercy to give you that joy back that you once had. Father, we ask that you would, uh, you would take this very tense time that we're all in right now. This, many of us, this is an awkward time. Some people may be very angry. Some people may be very convicted that they need to be saved. But Lord, we just ask that You would pour out Your love and Your grace in this invitation. And whoever it is, with whatever decision or commitment, they need to come and pray for someone or they need to make something public in front of this group of believers. Father, we ask that you would just pour out your mercy and help us to know that we can never go so far away from you that you will not receive us back and that you're waiting with open arms. In Jesus' name, amen.